Hello, this is Curtis Edwards, Vice President of Investor Relations at Hudson Investing. Are you ready to start building your multifamily portfolio? Kent and I are excited to announce our newest deal in Spartanburg, South Carolina. This 157-unit property offers a unique chance to acquire a B-class value-add property for just $120,000 per door. This is well below replacement costs. De-risking the deal even further is a favorable loan assumption with over six years remaining at 3.73% fixed. With 50 economic development projects underway and 70,000 jobs within a 20-minute drive, the South Carolina upstate region is primed for above-average job, population, and rent growth. Don't miss out on this exclusive deal. Find the link in the description notes to learn how you can invest. So my goal has always been to make the passive investor more advanced than the active investor. Because once you are more advanced in asking questions and looking at certain aspect of investing passively, you know, you can be, make a lot more smarter decisions, right? So, so end goal is create more smarter passive investors. Welcome to Right Around Real Estate, the show about how to passively invest like a pro. On each episode, I interview real estate experts who give their top investing advice, strategies, and tools, and I break down their insights into practical steps to avoid the pitfalls and make better investments. I want to help you passively invest like a pro. This is Ritter on Real Estate, and I'm your host, Kent Ritter. Hello, fellow investors. Welcome to Ritter on Real Estate, where we teach you how to passively invest like a pro. Today, my guest is James Kandasami. And he is the CEO of Achieve Investment Group. He's also an award-winning multifamily syndicator with over 2,000 doors and $160 million on assets under management. And even better than that, he's a best-selling author of the book, Passive Investing in Commercial Real Estate. Thank you so much for joining, James. Uh, we've got the expert in the house today for sure. <laughs> hey, Ken. Uh, happy to be on your show. Yeah, thank you. So... Start with telling us a little bit about yourself. Help our listeners get to know you. Well, I'm a, a used to be electrical engineer with an MBA, and I've been doing real estate for past what six, seven years maybe, and multifamily past uh, five years. We own like more than two thousand units right now, focusing a lot in Austin and San Antonio, Texas. We also vertically integrated a company, which we can go through what that means in a short while. And um, as you mentioned, you know, author of best-selling book, uh, Passive Investing in Commercial Real Estate, which was uh, released like almost two years ago. And we have sold like 2,000 copies of it, probably more because 2,000 was like after one year. And after that, I stopped counting. <laughs> and, uh, and these are like all paid copies. So it's not like free book or 99 cent. You know, the, no, mm -hmm. this is paid mm -hmm. copy, full price it's on Amazon. Thing on amazon.com, right? So people definitely are reading the book, paying for it, which means I do give some value and I'm, I'm happy for that and you know, happy to share any, any passive investing uh, knowledge uh, with your audience as well. Well, very cool. Yeah, no, we'll definitely dig into all that today. So why did you start investing in real estate? Why? Uh, it was a big aha moment when I was on a W2 job uh, and when my boss came and, uh, you know, tell me that I have to work in the company for another 16 years. And I didn't understand why, because when I came to the US, uh, you know, uh, I thought I'd know how the cost of living here is, right? But little that I know about the cost of education and I have like three kids, right? And 
And when he told me that, and I was, I told him like, I have three kids and he said, oh, okay, so you're going to work for another 16 years. I said, why? Oh, every kid is going to be like, you know, 100, 200,000, right? For education, right? Oh, that's crazy, right? If you go for better school, it's like 300,000 and all that, right? And and uh, it was an aha moment for me because my education as an engineer only cost like, you know, total like maximum $5,000 US dollars for wow. a four years degree. And it was a shocking moment for me. And that that's the time I realized that, hey, you know, I can't be just doing a W2 job. I have to do some business to do, you know, another another source of income. And I was looking at different asset class like stocks or bonds. I mean, I didn't look at bonds. You know, nobody, not many people knows about bond, investing in bonds, stocks and uh, trying to do some website business. And, you know, end of the day, we settled at the real estate. I mean, we did try all that. I did try all that and I failed. And real estate was the the one that is slow and steady and I can really control the asset using my sweat equity, right? So, um, so you know, that attracted me a lot. Uh, and we can use a lot of business skills um, to find deals in real estate. And also the realization that real estate is the only asset class that you can buy, you know, below value, market value. Like I say, a 100,000 house, if it's distressed, it drops in value and you can buy it below the market value. Right. And, and sometimes you go off market, you can buy a lot more below market value and you can put mortgage on it too. Like you can put 80% or 75% mortgage on it. So somebody's giving you a loan to buy that asset. Right. I mean, you can't, you don't get that in stocks, not in a true sense, not a real mortgage. And you can basically, you can, after you improve, you can sell it above market value as well. So, which is crazy. Right. I mean, there's three different areas where you're buying below market value. You get, somebody's giving you a mortgage to buy it at the same time. You can push it above market value. You know, there's no other investment asset class which can give you that. For example, stock doesn't give you, right? You're buying on that value on that day, right? And you basically got no control as well. So, so that's the reason why I selected uh, real estate and it was very um, encouraging for me to do, you know, this asset class as my you know, preferred way of uh, investing. Gotcha, and, you, and you've obviously had a, a ton of success, and now mm-hmm. you're 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 given back by by educating other investors through your book yep. and through other sources. So, yes, yes. so let's dig into some of the topics in the book, sure. for a little bit, because uh, you know a lot of the listeners out there are passive investors or, or folks that are that are looking to invest in real estate. Um, I mean, kind of walk us walk us through how how the book is is outlined a little bit and uh, help us understand some of of what are the main things that passive investors uh, need to know. Sure, sure, absolutely. So the book is written in a very simple language. It has com- it has complex topic because I'm I'm a very technical guy. I'm a very numbers guy. But I try not to put too much mathematical equations and to make it too much complex. So I wrote it in a very simple language. You know, people can spend four to five hours and finish reading the whole book. Yet you're going to find a lot more details that you don't find in a lot of uh, other avenues, right? I mean, a lot of times if you go to a conference or meetup, I mean, people are just going to talk about how do you buy apartments, right? But I want to focus on how does passive investor choose their investment? So, so it has like seven chapters, you know, with like introduction of SEC regulations, how a syndication works, you know, how does LLC being structured? You know, then we go into more, how do you uh, select your investment? What kind of, what, what kind of consideration should you do, right? And the biggest thing that people forget is like not all syndications are created the same. Right, uh, every deal is different, and but a lot of times, what passive investors forget is how do you how do they match their own objective in life to that deal, right? Sometimes people just look at the return. Oh, that's look that that's the return looks good. I like the sponsor. I like the market. I want to go and invest. But 
within that paradigm, there's a deal where it's a lot more you know, heavy on cash flow. There's a lot more heavy on equity, not less on cash flow. And how do they match this different spectrum of deals to what their investment goal is? So the matching of that investment goal is, is a, you know, we go very deep into it because I think that's very important. And a lot of passive investors just blindly throwing in money into every deal that they see. And, uh, you know, whichever putting a lot, you know, um, whichever content they like, you know, uh, they're going to put, uh, they're going to, you know, invest in that deal. Right? Yeah. Because sometimes when a lot of people find the real estate syndication, they start, wow, this is a big thing. I like it so much. I'm going to use all my $1 million in the next three months. Sure. Right? They see, they see 10, 10 deals, they put 100,000 into each, but without them thinking on, hey, these deals have its own characteristics. Mm-hmm. Right. How do I match my investment goal to this deal? Right. How do I look at this as an investment that I'm going to be using for the next 20 years? Right. So how am I going yeah. to achieve my financial independence? Use, looking at these characteristics of this deal and investing differently so that I can achieve my goal at the end. Right. So there's a lot of things that we discuss in that book, which I think will be very interesting for your, you know, for your passive investors. And after that, we go into more into indicators right when people talk about cash and cash when people talk about irr or equity multiple what does each mm-hmm. means mm-hmm. how how in a very simple language i explain a lot of uh, um i would say a complex topic into you know so that people can understand and grasp it right and and i didn't want to write too long of a book because then it, it doesn't serve the purpose of a passive investor right i mean some people really like going into every single detail but the primary objective of that book is to introduce people to syndication and go into concepts on how can they you know optimize any deals that they're going to invest to their personal goal and then third is to explain the concepts on how does it work how does the process work how do you communicate with an operator or with a sponsor right when someone you know when you go for a meetup how do you introduce yourself mm-hmm. right to the to the sponsor and when you talk to a sponsor what are the questions you're going to be asking them Right. Yeah. So there's yeah. a lot of things that, you know, as a passive investor, you can be a very advanced passive investor, right? By reading this kind of book, right? And and uh, that's what uh, I, I put in. And, and also the other topic I, I did look at is like, what are the capital sources that they can use out there, right? Sometimes people say IRA, sometimes people talk about cash, right? Sometimes people talk about solo 401k, right? And then they suddenly, they, they, like yesterday, I met an investor, they said, hey, I invested like a few hundred thousand, but nobody talked about UBIT, UBIT tax. Right. Using IRA, right? Because a lot of people just do not know about it, right? But I did talk about it in my book. Hey, you have to watch out for this UB tax. And how are you able to avoid UB tax? You can still use your IRA money, but how do you avoid it, right? So these are things that, I mean, as I said, passive investing commercial real estate is the title, but the subtitle is, is Insider Secrets to Achieving Financial Independence, right? So um, yeah, we covered so many topics. Uh, some of the things that I mentioned is some of the favorite things that people always mention to me, say that this is aha moment for them. And, and um when you read the book, even active investors are going to be learning a lot of things too, because uh, sometimes uh, there are some concepts which is explained, uh, you know, very well in the book that even active investors will be thinking that, oh, okay, I didn't even know that. So my goal has always been to make the passive investor more advanced than the active investor, because once you are more advanced in asking questions and looking at certain aspect of investing passively, you know, you can be make a lot more smarter decisions right so so end goal is create more smarter passive investors so people don't keep asking you questions fundamental questions and people don't get surprised when they invest and no one says that i didn't know about this before i invest right so that mm-hmm. that, that is the goal of the book 
Awesome. It sounds like a great read. I'm definitely going to have to check it out. It sounds, sounds, yeah, like you said, right up the alley for for our listeners yeah, here. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's like, as I said, sold 2,000 books on a full price, top 15 book by Jim Cramer, The Street. Uh, you know, if you go to thestreet.com uh, the and type top 15 real estate book, you know, my book will be number six. So, so awesome. <laughs> yeah. So as you, um, you know, one topic that you mentioned was around just understanding your goals as an investor. And, and, and I love that you started there. I think that's extremely important. I mean, can you go a little deeper into that of how, as an as a passive investor, do you go about defining, like understanding what your needs are and what your goals should be, so that you can you can make that informed decision? Absolutely, absolutely. That's a really good question. I I I would have loved to go deep, but I didn't know how deep you want to go. But so let me, for example, let's say you are on a later part of your investment cycle, right? Your focus is a lot more like I want lower risk, I want higher cash flow. I want more predictable income because I'm no more working or I'm at the age of retiring, right? So you do not want to take a lot of risk, but you want more cash flow because you want that consistent money to be coming in. So you can retire um, without worrying that you're going to lose your money or without money not coming in, right? So you want to focus a lot more on a yield type of deals or core asset class, right? Where it's very, very predictable in terms of giving me that cash and cash return every month, right? But if you are a young guy and you have your W-2, not say young, but if you have your W-2 job, let's say if you're a doctor, right, you're going to be earning a lot of money and you're not going to retire in the next 20, 30 years if you're a young, if you're a younger doctor, right? So what they want to do is they want to basically multiply their capital so that they're ready in the next 30 years when they want to ready to retire. So they want to focus more on value-add and deep value-add deals. Right. So because the, you know, deep value and value doesn't pay a lot of cash flow, but there's a lot more equity multiple. Right. So looking at what you are earning right now and how much is the risk. And, and also, as I mentioned, on a value and deep value add, uh, the people who are focusing a lot more on capital uh, equity appreciation or equity multiplication, they can take a lot more risk because they have their own full time job. So they want to target which deal is being presented and you'll be surprised that some sponsors are very focused on core asset class or some sponsors are very focused on you know value add and deep value add right so you want to align more towards which sponsor you are doing right and uh, there's something called hybrid right where it comes in the middle where you get cash flow a little bit but later on you get normal cash flow but you also get a lot of equity appreciation so you can focus on that as well so so that's what I mean, like how can each investor, you know, look at their risk and reward on where they are in their life, whether they get some other source of income, whereas they can take on a higher risk real estate investment and multiply that equity so that 20 to 30 years down the road, they have a lot more money and they can put it into a cash flow investment. Right. So it sounds like the one of the main considerations is there's some investments that will put off more cash flow, may, may have lower overall upside but but higher cash flow more immediate cash flow right and it sounds like uh, what you're saying is those pair more which makes sense with folks that are you know nearing or in retirement right as it's supplemental income right versus other deals that that may have lower cash flow and and have a higher have a higher ability to to multiply your equity though higher equity multiple right and so and those fit with folks that typically uh, like you said are still working um, and maybe maybe on the younger side and are still trying to grow their wealth, right? Still need to to gain more wealth. Okay, so it's really important for people to understand. Yeah. There's 
you know, there's a lot of different types of investments, but but even just breaking it down from cash flow focused or kind of wealth or like equity multiple focused, uh-huh. um, I think is a good place to start, right? And Absolutely. align your goals and where you are in life uh, with that strategy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. As I said, there's a lot more sophisticated passive investors out there uh, who are using all these strategies, but it's not very well taught to the normal investors or especially people who are jumping in into syndication because sometimes for them, everything is looks looks the same, right? Unless we go into this kind of deep conversation, right? And there's, there's a lot more deeper conversation, which is not covered in the book, but it's covered in my video series where we talk about like, uh, how do you look at risk adjusted return? That's a lot more advanced concept. And if you are already a normal passive investor, you can go and read that because then it makes more sense, but it's a lot more technical, but it's very, very powerful because now you can earn a lot more than even active investor by becoming more uh, advanced passive investor, right? So if you know like risk adjusted concept and if you know like some, uh, uh, deal risk profiling, right? How do you profile a deal, right? Because sometimes when, they, some, when, someone, when someone show you a deal, you do not know whether this is a core deal or is it a value or is it a deep value? How do you know it, right? But so we teach in that video series on how do you categorize them? How do you measure them? How do you measure whether this deal is more of a, a cash flow deal or more uh, you know, heavy towards backend by using calculation, right? So, but that's a little, a little bit more advanced. And if someone who's want to be that advanced, want to be that super passive investor, then you go into that level. But introduction level, my book is good, <laughs> right? And, yeah, and- no, that's oh. awesome. No, I, that's awesome. I mean, I like personally, I love getting getting into into that level. I mean, that's uh, that's what I'm passionate about is is helping people, you know, get more educated. Like you said, I think it, it aligns perfectly. And so, so not to go in into all the weeds, but but just a little bit. This idea of risk adjusted return um, is so important, and I and it's something that I I consistently through the conversations I have gets missed uh, by most people. You know, this idea of, of if you're just looking at the upside and the potential, right, or just looking at the return number and not considering the likelihood of that return. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Right. So so tell us a little more about that. What what does risk adjusted mean? I mean, elaborate a little for us. Sure, sure. I love it that you like to go pretty technical because I think in that terms and, uh, you know, just how deep you want to go, right? So so let me explain about risk-adjusted return, right? So what is the risk of getting that return, right? So when someone said, I'm going to give you 15% return, but what is the likelihood of that you're getting? Because you and I know that usually when we predict syndication return, we are predicting like three to five years down the road, right? And if you have $1 million, you probably, you know, put all that money, $1 million in the next six months and you're done, right? So for the next five years, you ha- you'll be waiting for that, you know, what is the result of my $1 million? Where, how, what did I put in, right? So so the concept of risk-adjusted return basically able to tell you uh, where is the return in the spectrum of the risk, right? So for example, when you look at operation, there's, and also disposition, right? Acquisition, operation, and disposition in a, in a full investment life cycle. So other than acquisition, there's operation. And you have in, in operation, the biggest indicator is cash and cash, right? And and on the back end, the biggest indicator is what is your equity multiple when you sell. You're hoping that you're going to make big money on the back end, but cash and cash is like, you know, 8 
right? And then people talk about overall return. So a lot of time people say, oh, my IRR is 15%, right? But how do you split this IRR into two topic, into two segment where which part of it is cash flow and which part of it is backend, right? So it's called, it's called a deal risk profiling, right? So this is the method that we use to split that into two risk side into two different part of it, right? And when we talk about cash flow, the Wall Street and everyone who knows about investing, lower risk, you're willing to pay higher, right? You're, you're able to, you're, you want to pay higher amount of money because the risk is lower. Whereas higher risk, you want to pay high, lower amount of money, right? So it means cash flow is always predictable because it's happening like in one year down the road. The risk of uh, getting the cash flow is high, right? So to get a certain cash and cash, uh, let's say someone said, I'm going to give you a 10% cash. The risk of you achieving that is pretty low because that's happening like next one year and that's operation. Whereas the risk of you getting an exit equity multiple five years down the road is high because it's five years down the road. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Right. Right. So so the risk of the back end is always high, whereas the risk on cash flow is always low. Right. So what we do in this risk profiling of a deal is we split into this cash flow and backend and we say that oh this is 70% cash flow this is 20% 25% mm-hmm. or 30% backend so it's good good deal because now it's more predictable so you're saying that that deal being that let's say your total return on the deal is $50,000 and what you're saying is you know let's just for for easier numbers so so 40,000 of that total return is going to come out of the cash flow in in the deal right you're saying that that is a lower risk deal because the predictability absolutely of that cash flow it, it's just uh it's easier to predict it's more likely that cash flow will come than on the alternative the the other amount i think i only had 10,000 left but the other amount that was going to come from the appreciation in the deal it's a farther time horizon as time goes out there just increases uncertainty and, it, and it's it's really hard to predict what you're actually going to be able to sell the property for in five years, right? Much harder yes. than to predict the cash flow because likely in the in the deals, at least the deals that you and I are buying from what I understand, I mean, many of these properties have been in business 20, 30, 40 years, right? So, so that's kind of how I think about it is like these have been operating businesses for decades that have been making cash. We're just going to help them make make a little more money, right? So so the cash flow is there, there's a history of it. And so what you're saying is that it's the lower risk profile because it's more not guaranteed but more a higher probability. Higher probability, that, yeah, which happen. means you you you're okay to pay a bit more money for it. Right. right? And we are looking at absolute numbers, right? So let's say deal A is 15% IRR, deal B is 15% IRR. Absolute number, right? But where is the IRR mostly coming from? Is it from the back end or is it from the front end cash flow, right? That's where you have to determine, right? But you can't compare with the 15% IRR deal and a 20% IRR deal. But let's say a 20% IRR deal is a lot more on the back end. That's okay because it's paying you more, right? But in general, you know, if you're comparing a deal A and deal B, which has almost similar total return, you have to see where is it skewed because that's going to control your risk and that's going to control your probability, which means you, you, you're, gonna, you're willing to pay more money for it are you willing to invest more on it or, you know, you can match it to your own personal profile as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for taking us down, down the rabbit hole for a second. <laughs> no, that was, no, uh, it's very interesting. It, it, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I just I think it's an important topic that we don't get to to speak on much, uh-huh. and, and and probably a level that is deeper than than most people understand as they uh-huh. look and evaluate deals. So uh-huh. I just uh-huh. the concept of a risk adjusted return is something you can't you can't dig enough into. Yeah, I don't think. yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at stocks, I mean, there's so many books you can go and get stocks, and there's growth stocks, there's value stocks. So many people write about stocks, but not many people write about investing into real estate, right? I mean, there's a lot of people writing about how to buy real estate. But 95% of the investors out there do not want to be an active investor. Right? They want to be passive. Right. So this right. book was written for that 95% of the real estate people. Gotcha. No, makes total sense. Something else that you hit on is around just, uh, you know, I guess communicating as a passive investor, ap- approaching sponsors, kind of building that that network out. I mean, what are things that that passive investors or any investors can do to I guess show up in the right way, you know, communicate in the right way, you know, uh, give give off an air of ed- an education, and, and just come off in the right way to to sponsors or to other investors or you know whoever uh, whoever they're communicating with. Yeah, I think it's just be open about it. If you want, if you're looking for sponsors, just say, "Yeah, I'm looking for you know, active uh, sponsors of deals, and this is the type of deals I'm looking for." Just be open about it, open about it, and talk to sponsors, right? So, one thing I would caution is basically, you know, do not go. I mean, a lot of sponsors are hardworking people, and that's why. I mean, everybody want to make money. Sponsors want to make money. Passive want to make money. But keep in mind, sponsors are the one who are running the entire show. Right? I mean, especially operators. Who, who are buying deals, sourcing deals, that's a lot of work. Operating a deal and trying to turn around, that's a lot of work. And you want to have certain trust in them, in their capabilities. Right? That's why they, they're active and you are passive, right? I mean, and I always put this analogy, you know, the passive investors are the you know passengers in the flight, whereas the, the active investors are the pilot, right? I mean, you don't want to go and ask pilot, hey, do you know how to fly this plane? <laughs> do you know what happened next, right? I mean, do you know where's the engine? I mean, they are trained to do that, right? Whereas, uh, so there's certain trust that passive investors need to put on the active investors, right? And So how important. do you build that trust? Yeah, how do you build that trust? Say you're, you're trying to develop a new relationship or, or let's say an investor is building a new relationship with you, right? You mm-hmm. meet a new investor, what can they do to 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 start to gain trust in mm-hmm. that that sponsor? Just, uh, I mean, of course, build a relationship, get on the phone and get to know them and all that, right? But at the same time, follow them, what they're doing and what kind of content they're putting out. I mean, look for sponsors who are putting a lot of free content, like adding value to people rather than some sponsor, which you do not know where they come from, right? What kind of knowledge do they have? Right. Uh, so, you know, and you just build, you know, they say, you know, if they send a mail out, if they send a newsletter out, say, thank you for the newsletter. You know, it's, it's a lot more, um, you know, back and forth responses can be, can be done with the sponsors rather than waiting for a deal. Right. I mean, everybody wants a deal, a really good deal. They want to invest, but, you know, just build that relationship. Right. And, and that's something I, even I see in my investor base, right. Whenever we put up a deal, it gets oversubscribed and, and a lot of times the people we put on the deal is people we already know, right? Because I can imagine them and imagine their, my conversation with them. We know their investment goal. They understand me. Rather than taking somebody completely new, which we do not know because, because it's a five-year, three to five-year of marriage, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. And you do not want to get someone which is not a good fit with your personality. So just build that relationship with them. Just keep communicating this emails and tags. And I say, thank you. You know, uh, yeah. just just build that relationship. And what about from the the actual passive investor side? Are there things that investors should be doing to vet their sponsors before they invest in a deal? 
that's a big topic, right? So, but I, th- I would say, let me summarize to one, the best way to vet a sponsor is, especially the sponsor who is new, is like, talk to the current passive investors, right? Build a relationship with, hey, how is that person doing? Are they communicating? You know, because investments go, it goes up and down, right? Especially in real estate, right? Uh, I, I mean, any investment goes up and down, right? But, you know, a lot of it's private, right? The best way to get to know, on how an investors and how an active investor is, is performing, or you know, going to be you know uh, communicating, just to talk to their current passive investors. Gotcha. So, so don't even don't waste the time speaking with the sponsor. I mean, because the sponsor is going to tell you all the good stuff. Yeah, of right? course. I mean, but yeah, speak to speak to the other people that are actually investing with correct, them. Correct, correct, correct. Yeah, you have to do some homework, right? I mean, you are investing fifty to hundred thousand, and sometimes people expect everything to be given to them on a phone call, right? You have to go to meetups, you have to go to conferences, you have to be in Facebook groups. Um, you know, just talk to people who have invested with us. You know, just say, hey, how's, how's that person? Uh, I mean, sometimes it's pretty easy to identify a good operator and, uh, you know, authentic people. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you 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 want to, you get you see this deal is really good by doing one of the guy, try to see whether, you know, uh, you can connect with some of the previous uh, investors or not. Yeah, no, great tip. So let's switch gears a little bit because I, I want to hear more about your business. Uh, you've obviously, you know, you've grown to, to over 2,000 doors. You've got a vertically integrated business and, and you've obviously um, grown, you know, fairly quickly, you know, relatively speaking, right? You said it's been, what, about six years, six or seven years? 2016 is when we started. I would say four to five years is when we started. I mean, the, the, we bought our first building at the end of 2015 is when we closed. So, so I would say 2015, 2016. And what is it that, that's allowed you to, to scale up your business uh, so much so quickly? Three things. Uh, one is hard work. Second is being persistent. And the third is just to try, and, we always try to do something different from everybody else, right? Like, for example, um, when we started, we source all our deals uh, by going direct to the sellers, right? We're doing the yellow letter marketing and all that, where everybody, you know, going to brokers, right? And so, so we try to do different. It's a lot more hard work, but that's where you get the best deals out there. Um, and also vertically integrated company, right? Where we own our own property management, asset management, you know, raised money ourselves as well. And not many people are willing to do the property management side, right? People say that's, <laughs> that's a very thankless job, right? Which is true, but you need control to get the maximum return of your investment, right? And so these are a few things that we do and we do a lot more other things as well, uh, but a few things that we do, Maybe the third one is I put out a lot of free content for people, right? And sometimes people ask me, even my podcast, people say, James, why are you telling them all the secrets, right? But, you know, there's no secret, right? This hard work is more important. I can tell you every single secret, but whether the person's willing to do that, that steps that I'm telling you, that's a completely different story, right? Not many people will do it, like probably 0.1. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great perspective. I mean, just, just like anything else, like, you know, most things, I guess, ex- are, except rocket science are, are not rocket science, right? <laughs> you, you can, you can figure them out. Yeah. And the thing I found in, in just my life and career is once you get into something, it's usually not as difficult as you think it, it's going to be. I mean, at least from a complication standpoint, but what it comes down to, right, is, is the willingness to work hard and, and put in the time. And I think that's, that's really what separates folks, right? So you say you're giving away all the secrets. Well, 
you know, it's fine to hear it, but are you are you actually going to turn around and go do, and it, do it? Right, yeah. that's a totally different Absolutely. story. Absolutely, yeah, it's true. Is it? I'm just. I mean, it's not surprising. It's just that some of the people ask, "What's your secret?" Well, I can tell you all the secret, but <laughs> how many are you going to do it or not? Right? You show up every day. I mean, you're at a property right now, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm at a property right now. We have a lot of pipe bursts right now due to the Texas storm, and and I'm here looking at you know, trying to solve this problem because this and not many sponsors are willing to do that, right? They just want to be asset manager behind a computer and they make calls and try to find out how to solve it, right? But sometimes when owners are on the side, you know, things get resolved much quicker, right? And at the end of the day, the residents are going to be much more happier and they're going to be staying longer, right? And that's how, that's how you make, you know, much, much better returns, which is equivalent to a much, much better track record, which is equivalent to much, much better repeatability of passive investors, right? So, so like we have raised like almost $60 million with, you know, with like probably 300 investors, right? And average investment is like 150 and that's unheard of because our track record is so good and people are willing to put in. And that just came, comes from things like what I'm doing right now. I'm being at the property, right? I'm an operator. <laughs> we are trying to solve the problem so that we can get our residents to be happy. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you mentioned on, you mentioned a couple other things I thought were really interesting. You know, one is, just the idea of, of vertical integration. And so, you know, in my own business, I mean, we're vertically integrated. We take a lot of pride in that um, and see the benefits there. But I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, how does that add value to, to your deals? It's just a control and a fluctuation of control as well. Like, for example, when COVID hit, you know, of course, our delinquency went up, but we can also reduce our staff to compensate for that, right? Whereas if you're a third party, if you have a third-party property management, which is not vertically integrated, then you got no control. It's whatever they want to say, right? We do a lot of difficult deals. We do a lot of deep value-add and value-add deals. And we just need that control to turn around property very quickly, right? Mm. Um, so vertically integration gives you the control. It may not give you the profit, but it gives you the control. And that ends up to becoming a, a much better return at the end of the day. Gotcha. And then you mentioned you mentioned some of the markets that, that you're in. You you said Austin, San Antonio, Texas. De Austin, San Antonio. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are those are two hot markets. Those are competitive markets. Mm -hmm. Yet you said that you find deals off market. Yeah. So it, it seems like there there's a, a disconnect there, or at least something that that you're doing differently, like you said. So can you tell us a little bit about you know first of all maybe just, maybe just what is an off market deal, and then. And then what is it, what is the value of, of finding off-market deals? Yeah, correct, correct. I'm sure you you see, you know, everybody offering deals out there and everybody says off-market deal, but off-market can be categorized into like probably like three types, right? One is where you are, you know, a broker brings you a deal and tells this deal is an off-market, but actually the broker, what he does is he also tell 10 other people, right? This is all off-market. <laughs> yeah. And they create <laughs> this. Are, they're always off-market. <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, off-market sounds cool. And of course, it's going easy to raise money. Right? You say this deal is off-market, right? But what's the real definition of off-market? So brokers do that a lot. They, they bring a deal. They don't really publish it on market, but they make, they create that cool factor of having like 10 people looking at it and they create internal competition. They still do some kind of best and final off market, yeah. right? Um, yeah, I call that like pre-market. Oh, really? That's a like, good good way. Like, like they didn't want to, you know, it's it's the sh like because there is a there is it's a very real thing that that mm -hmm. brokers have a short list, right? Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. they have a list of people who they know can deliver and mm -hmm. who and who they build a relationship with, and and mm -hmm. that's the group that they. 
they send it out to right before mm. the full marketing package is done. Yeah, Cause if they can yeah. get it done there, you don't have to spend all the time and effort mm. going through the full marketing cycle. Yeah. So, well, yeah, I, th- those are the pre-market. Yeah. Well, that, that is a different category for me, right? The first category, okay. the first category I mentioned is that they are just looking for some guy out there to overpay. Right. Okay. <laughs> and the reason why they didn't bring it on market because they're too shy to bring it on market. And this must be like really bad deal. Oh, those the, are like the loop net deals. The loop, well, it doesn't even get <laughs> I mean, uh, the bad deal, which they don't, don't have, sometimes they don't even have listing on it. They don't have an assign agreement from the seller. They just throw it out there. to, And then sometimes they overpromise to the seller, I'm going to get you like 220% yeah. more than what everybody else. Just tell me gotcha. what is it, give me financials. And then they couldn't throw it to you know market and see, is there a newbie who's trying to bite on this bullet or not? Right? So gotcha. That's okay. the off market okay. I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. The next level is, of course, that's the better off market than what you described, where it's a really good deal, but they just do not want to market it because the seller could have said that, hey, I do not want my staff to get spooked. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, just bring it to mm-hmm. three or four good closers. Right. That's a that's a mm-hmm. good that's a good off market deal. Right. But mm-hmm. you have to really see whether which category does it fall. The last category is where, you know, there's a handshake between the seller. I mean, well, maybe there's fourth category. The third category is where a broker brings a deal and tells you this deal is something that you can close because you are the perfect person because you know this type of deals. Like it's a big foundation mm-hmm. issue. It's a big claim. It's that a loan penalty issues, right? Or if you have a property in front of this property, right? So that's the third category because they think that you are the best buyer. They're just going to give you a shot. Right. Mm-hmm. So the first, all the top three is involving broker. The last, the best, and the hardest, and the best for for newbies to start is where they are able to have a direct handshake with the seller. Gotcha. Right? You and seller talking directly, and he gives you a price, and that becomes a true off market deal. And, and so, which one of those categories are the deals that you're doing? Which one do they fall? So in? the first, uh, the last two is where I look for, right? So when I started, okay. I started direct off uh, off market to sellers, and we're buying handshake me handshaking with the seller, and we're buying a deal, right? Which mm-hmm. no brokers involved, nobody knows about it, me and me and seller. But mm-hmm. after the first two deals, everything else is through brokers. A lot. Well, let me think. There's one which is a unique case, which came through Facebook group. So I'm going to talk about that in a short while. So, so the, the most of the deals after the first direct to seller, it comes from the third category where the seller brings to me directly and says, "This is, you can execute this the best kind of thing, right? Because they know we are local operators, we can turn around the property, and we are good closer as well, good track record. And as I said, there's one odd case where I got it through my Facebook group. And I said, in in fact, that is the biggest, largest acquisition that we have done is almost like 32 million dollars in deal and it came through my facebook group right so wow tips for your uh, listeners join my facebook group it's called multi-family investors <laughs> group <laughs> sounds like it there's deals to be done in there <laughs> absolutely we just did a 30 million dollar deal through that group right and that's yeah. that's that's a unique one that's awesome but so just going back to to why why would you want to do an off-market deal sounds like a lot of work it's a lot of work but if, uh, if you look at your time span versus effort versus results, it's much better than underwriting, you know, 20 on-market deal and going through best and final and buying, buying, uh, overpaying, overpaying for the deal. I mean, any deals that you go through yeah. best and final, you're fundamentally also overpaid. Correct, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right? Out of yeah. 10 people who came for the best and final, you, so you can say, I won the deal, but mm-hmm. you're also the highest paying guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And real estate, the fundamental law of real estate is you always have to buy right, which means you have to always have to buy at a lower value. 
Yeah. Right. So you you yeah. you make money when you buy. When you sell, is That's where right. you take the profit. Right. So yeah. Any deal that you, I mean, most of the deals. I mean, I would say ninety nine percent of the deal that you go through best and final. Uh, especially in the hot market, like where where I am in Dallas, Austin, Texas, where there's day one hard money and multiple people coming from trying to buy in the cities. I mean, you basically overpaid. So you have to pray so that it goes up from that point because you already overpaid. And now you have to hope that market continues to appreciate, right? And I don't like that. I'm I'm a, I'm a risk-averse guy. I'm a, I, I always look at risk. Bro. So I always look for deals, which is, you know, has lower risk. And that the way to find that deals is off market. So, so rather than doing 20 on market best and final deal, I'd rather go and do, I'd rather take my time and the stress level and go look for off market deals and work with some brokers on a very exclusive certain deal level or even going direct to seller. Because the time versus effort versus result is much better on the off market side. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and you're buying ultimately at a better value. Absolutely. Which allows you to, to, to create a better return for the investor. Yeah. And, right? and if you look at it, you build that relationship with the brokers. You build that relationship with the seller, right? And most of the time, apartment owners, are they don't own like one apartment, right? They own multiple, right? I mean, they get to yeah. know you personally. They may yeah. be selling you more, right? <laughs> and it's just a feeling of winning, right? When you feel and you get a really mm-hmm. off-market deal, it feels so good because I beat mm-hmm. Nobody else knows about the deal and I feel so good. Versus like mm-hmm. I go and compete and I paid the most and I won. And how do I turn around to my investors say that I I endured this deal conservatively? You can never say that, right? On a bidding war, right? Because, hey, you are the guy who paid the most. <laughs> how can you say you're conservative? You are the worst conservative guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I guess relative <laughs> to the other people, you, yeah, you've, you, uh, you've, you've definitely taken the most... Aggressive, right? Or the more aggressive <laughs> assumptions, right? Yeah, exactly. To be able to, to return. Yeah, the, yeah. How do you go? How do you go to syndication when, on your webinar? Can you say that uh, I'm the most aggressive guy? Of course, nobody's going to say that, right? But <laughs> but yeah. It's, well, every, every deal I've ever seen has conservative. Conserv- everybody says I'm conservative, but I've never seen true, a right? deal with that starts out and says our under our, our underwriting <laughs> exactly. is really aggressive, <laughs> and we may not achieve it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, unless you're doing a ten thirty one money where your goal is completely different, or you're a family office, yeah. you're more the wealth preservation yeah. thing. Yeah, that is different. Yeah, right? that was the only other caveat I was going to say yeah. is you know there there are examples where the the investors just have a different mm-hmm. return profile Correct. that they're trying yeah. to achieve. Yeah. you know, and yeah. and maybe able to pay a higher price. Yeah. But but yeah, for for the most part, where you're going, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, um, especially if you're in those hotter markets and there's thirty people bidding and <laughs> and yeah, you've got to hope that that it continues to Grow, appreciate. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> awesome, James. Well, well, I mean, I, I've appreciated all the info. You obviously, I mean, I mean, heck, you wrote the book on it, <laughs> but you obviously know your stuff and uh, and a great level of detail. I appreciate you sharing some of your insights with us, and going deep on some of those topics. The last segment of the show is called Keys to Success, and so I'd love to ask you four questions. Promise there, there's no brain teasers in here, but uh, the very first question is. What is the question that every investor should be asking their deal sponsor if they only got one question? <laughs> That's a really good question. Uh, um, just, you know, their track record, I guess, right? So, uh, and I say it's very hard to get a track record and direct from the sponsor, you know. Uh, it's better to get from the investors who have invested with them. Um, and it's also hard to ask them directly, can you give me a reference, right? So you just have to network and find someone, have you invested with this person kind of thing, right? And it's an investment, right? So 
Yeah, it sounds like the answer might be don't ask the sponsor a question, mm-hmm. ask their investors a question. Correct. That'll be the best question you can ask, right? The most yeah. beneficial question. But if you want to talk to sponsor, you can ask them about hey, what kind of deal do you focus, right? Okay. Uh, What's your focus? Yeah, yeah. How, how are you different from everybody else? Yeah, I like that one. How are you different? I mean, I think you, you know, you talked about what you guys have done to differentiate. There's a clear value prop there. And uh, yeah, it definitely helps uh, yeah. separate competition. Because everybody's trying to be a, an active investor right now, right? People go for bootcamp and the next day they said, I'm an active investor. People invested in, uh, you know, passive passive deals. Let's say they invest in, uh, you know, 0.01% into uh, 500 units and they claim that 500 units is theirs, right? They go around and tell that we own 5,000 units, but actually hey, you have not been an active investor. So, you know, sometimes it's a bit misleading, right? So <laughs> sure. be careful with that. Yeah. So the track record is really important yeah. and, di- and digging in to understand what, what were you act, what was your role and what were you really involved in? Yeah. What's right? your role? Absolutely. So that's what right. I talk in my book. Are you an operator? Because operators are the backbone of the deal. They know the business plan. They're going to execute. They control the whole deal. Right. And mm-hmm. you want to invest with the operators. Yeah. To me, that's the fun part. Yeah. That's the fun, right? I mean, <laughs> but not many people are willing to do the hard work of being an operator. Yeah, that, that's true. That is true. So what are you most proud of in your career? Uh, that, I know, sometimes we, well, I mean, I think how I make impact for others, right? I mean, um, when I started this, I never really thought on, on how quickly we can grow, but we were so passionate. And the biggest thing is we can make impact in many ways, impact to our residents, impact to our own life, personal life, impact to our own uh, wealth creation. And, you know, we also give back a lot. Uh, we, we, our mission has been always been to educate you know, orphans and, uh, in third world country. And right now we are like 330 orphans being educated on a monthly basis where we sponsor the education. So we are proud of doing awesome. all that. Yeah. That's our unit count. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome that's your unit count yeah yeah, yeah. we don't care um, about the number of units right because number of units you know, can be nebulous right but yeah the 30k that, we're going to go grow that bigger that's great that's a true impact yeah. what book should everybody be reading uh at least think and grow rich mm-hmm. and uh the other book is magic of thinking big okay very good and last but not least what is your number one key to success do things differently from everybody else do things differently. I like it. Very good. Well, James, thank you so much, man. Appreciate all your time. If folks want, want to learn more from you, how can they reach you? Um, Achieve Investment Group is my company. Achieve is achieving like achieving a goal. A-C-H-I-E-V-E, achieveinvestmentgroup.com. My email is james at achieveinvestmentgroup.com. And I recently launched a, a free book plus shipping. Shipping is like $4 something for my book uh, so you can go to passive investing in real estate.com to get the book passive investing in real estate.com to get the book for free great you check the book out and check james out with uh, achieve investment group well thanks again for being on the show appreciate all the knowledge you share with us and uh, have a great rest of the day absolutely happy to add value to you and your audience thank you thanks for listening to another great episode of ritter on real estate Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out on the content that will make you a better investor. Also, visit KentRitter.com for articles, videos, and tools curated just for passive investors. Until next time, this is Kent Ritter with Ritter on Real Estate. Now go out and invest like a pro.